Hey, this is Jason DeVore from Authority Zero, and you're listening to the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. So I thought this was a little bit interesting, and I actually kind of made fun of the tweet when I saw it because it had the line in it, sources. <laughs> and when sources. I, whenever anyone just says sources, say, I think, all right, you're just, you just talk to somebody that knows something about the sun's other like if it's an unnamed source i just don't really believe it anymore regardless there might be some validity to it so we're going to talk about it there was uh, a report that came out that if the suns do decide that they want to fire igor kakashkov over the summer that luke walton is seen as the most popular replacement for fire for uh, replacing igor now on bright side of the sun they did release a poll and i'm actually really happy with the results on the poll and it was which coach would you prefer for the Suns, Igor or Luke Walton? And 85% of Brightside listeners voted for Igor, and it wasn't a small sample size either. When I checked the poll, that was out of 540 respondents. Yeah, absolutely. I think Igor has shown what. Here's here's the things. Igor is a rookie coach in the NBA. Um, he's got some tendencies. He's got some tendencies. That he's going to stick with lineups longer than basketball Twitter would want him to. He's he's going to sub in a guy he planned before the game to sub in and not the guy he didn't plan before the game to sub in instead of the one everyone wants him to sub in. Um, I personally wish he would play more DeAnthony Melton and less Jamal Crawford, but I totally understand why he does those kind of things. Um, I the, Here's the things that he's done well, though, this year. You've noticed guys getting better. You've noticed DeAndre Ayton getting better. You've noticed Mikel Bridges getting better. Kelly Oubre was already, uh, you know, realized before he got here, but he's even getting more, more involved as time goes on. And Devin Booker is getting better. Devin, they purposely put too much load on Devin Booker early in the season because they didn't have a point guard. Uh, now they've alleviated that a little bit, and he's gotten uh, Devin Booker is definitely um, better now than he was at any point this season. Is he better than he was last year? We don't know, but that wasn't Igor's thing. Igor is, is trying to get guys better during the year. So I, I think there's been a lot of progress, and you got to give Igor credit for that. Is he best as a lead assistant? We don't know yet because he hasn't had enough time to coach in the NBA. Most rookie coaches are not great as rookie coaches. It is. Uh, I think I, I side on the side of you with – uh, wanting to see a bit more D'Anthony Melton and a bit less of uh, Jamal Crawford. I think it is a little bit perplexing that at this stage of the season um, that we well, are. Well, I'll, give the, so I'll give the answer I give everybody on Twitter and in the comments sections of Brightside as well. He wants to win. Uh, the answer, what'd you say? He wants to win. Well, yeah. I mean, Igor wants to win games. That's one of it. And you're more likely to win games with uh, one of the highest scoring guards in league history that come, has ever come off the bench. And you're less likely to win games with a rookie point guard who had one year as a combo guard in college and really is not um, a guy who's dissecting the other team's defense. He's really instinctive. De'Anthony Melton is a super instinctive player, uh, but he's also not really a thinker out there on the court, you know, pre-planning how and getting people in position and all that. He's just a player. Um, so yeah, so that's one, but the, but the main thing is, is players that are good voices in the locker room for the, for the other players to actually continue to listen to them. You've got to actually be on the court. You have to actually be in the games. You have to be in the trenches with these guys, um, day in and day out, uh, experience these, experiencing these losses and wins while in between the lines and not at the end of the bench and being a cheerleader. There's only so much Jared Dudley, um, Tyson Chandler when he wasn't playing as much. Jamal Crawford is kind of like in the Tyson Chandler role, and uh, it's you know you can't play Jamal any more than you currently are. But uh, certainly, they're trying to get him to be that kind of influence, and it's got better than zero effect on the guys, and that's necessary. You've got to have a veteran in the lineup. Now, okay, Kelly Oubre is the what? oldest player in the regular rotation as far as is he the oldest is, is he second oldest, is third that oldest? is that counting uh, uh tj warren uh yes uh third 
Well, he's fourth, fourth, he fourth, third. because because you have uh, Jamal Crawford, you have Troy Daniels, who's older, uh, you have T.J. Warren, who is older, so that would put him fourth, right? Right, uh, and then they got Tyler Johnson, who's now finally right. fifth. But twenty-six. Uh, the thing is, T.J. Warren's not playing right now, and he's never actually been a voice for the team. He's never been the guy that the team is going to count on. Uh, and certainly as far as, as far as leadership, uh, TJ leads by example, not by words. Troy Daniels hasn't played enough to actually really be a major voice on the court until, uh, second half of the season. So, I mean, really Kelly Oubre at 23 years old is like the third, fourth oldest right now in the sun's regular rotation. And that is pretty bad. What did he say? He had a quote. Along the lines of, when I was in Washington, no one listened to me. Now I'm at a team where everyone listens to me. Uh, right. I, I do think it's it's been noticeable, and this is something that we're going to talk about later on the pod, so I don't want to spend a ton of time on it. Uh, but now down the stretches in games is that Igor has Kelly guarding the best player on the opposing team instead of Mikhail Bridges, and that's been a noticeable change. Well, it definitely, they uh, they are taking turns, but yes, when Kelly Oubre's out there, he's got Kelly Oubre defending the other team's best player. Like at the end of Friday night's game against Houston, Mikel Bridges had been on um, uh, James Harden a lot, but then in the closing minutes, it was Kelly Oubre on, on James Harden. Mm-hmm. And the same is true of a lot of the games. Um, I think it's pretty great that you can choose between the two and have them trade off, depending on who's in foul trouble and, and how the switches work and all that. Um, we're really, uh, yeah. So Kelly Oubre has been a major influence on this team and not just in, in the stats. Yeah. Love me some Kelly Oubre. We are going to talk later on the show, whether or not the Suns can keep both Oubre, uh, as well as Bridges long-term. We'll probably dive into a little bit of Josh Jackson and TJ Warren talk along with that, but We do want to thank a listener, so if you do feel like you get something out of this show, out of this podcast, and you want to support the podcast, we really do appreciate you. If you open up the show notes, if you're listening on the podcast version or on YouTube, if you look in the comment in the description below, there's a link that says support this podcast. You can click on that, and there is a monthly $1, $5, or $10 option. Uh, The $1 really does help, so if you want to buy us a cup of coffee, please feel free to do so with that. I do want to thank a listener, Paul I believe Ippolito. Ippolito, Paul Ippolito. Thank you. We really do appreciate it uh, for the support. Yep. Thank you, Paul. That's great. And if you want to do the $10 option, I personally will send you some sun swag. I have some to send out this week. I also do want to thank a listener who left us a review, Ed Hindle on Twitter. He said, Tim, I've been a big fan of the sun's solar panel from the beginning. And thank you for all the hard work you do producing the podcast. Thank you, Ed. I appreciate that constructive criticism. Yes. Uh, I really, we really appreciate the reviews. Definitely. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, did you read the whole review? Or uh, no, I, I might have left out the middle part where he said I was a curmudgeon about how I get annoyed <laughs> with you and Espo. I do want to say that I don't ever actually get annoyed uh, with you dave or greg on the show i think there's probably been one time in two years when i've been annoyed with you guys yeah. no d- definitely and the same is true of me uh we're all good friends and good friends are allowed to look annoyed at each other and to snipe back at each other on things that we don't like the other saying but definitely uh we we're not actually annoyed at each other at any point now i've been annoyed with the sun's losing <laughs> that's uh, that, that is something I don't know that, why. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'll try and be, cause I had a couple of people recently tell me that I've become a bit negative on the podcast. So I will do a better job of trying to be a cheerleader for this team. Also now the Suns are playing pretty well. So that does help the cause with that one. We know there are roughly 40 Suns podcasts to choose from. Thank you for listening to the Sun solar panel podcast. All right, so since we last recorded, and I believe that I got these games right, but Dave will correct me if I am wrong. Since we last recorded, the Suns have beaten the Bucks, the Knicks, and Golden State. Uh, they fell to the Jazz, which they were actually pretty competitive through the first half. They fell to the Blazers. First three quarters, even. Yep. They had the lead uh, with five seconds left in the third. Yep. Uh, and they barely lost the Rockets. Uh, the Rockets game was really good. It felt it felt disappointing when they lost, although <laughs> truth be told, at this point in the season, 
Um, right. The fact that they were that competitive when they didn't have Tyler Johnson, they started Devin Booker, they were competitive through the very end of the game, and really the only reason why they lost the game at the very end was just because they were playing a team that uh, was more experienced than they were. Yeah, I mean, what the Rockets did on Friday night was basically turn to James Harden, and James Harden, well, turn to himself, basically, because he's the one who has the ball. Chris Paul was out for rest, and, and so James Harden was the primary ball handler, and he was having an excellent game. And, and, and Daniel he knows House, how to draw fouls. He knows how to get points. Daniel House hit that, that three-pointer at the end of the game and then came up with the block on Josh Jackson. Absolutely right, but they got that far even just riding uh, James Harden. It was Harden, I believe, who had the assist house uh, for that long three. But you know what? When a guy um, like Daniel House hits – a 28-foot three-pointer at the end of the shot clock to to create the difference in the game. That's the shot the Suns wanted. They didn't want James right. Harden to get to the line <laughs> one more time. Right. You 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 forced you forced the the offense to take the shot you wanted them to take, and they made it. Uh, and then right. you, and then you came up with a steal, and <laughs> and you got blocked. So you know at the end of the day, oh. that was. Like it was what it was. You can't be mad at the team for that. And that also didn't have that many options. And it showed that when you're missing Tyler Johnson, when you're missing TJ Warren, that the Suns are not that deep of a team. Yeah. So unfortunately for Josh We're sponsored Jackson, by Bryce man, out of the sun. He, he is the key to. They don't to, actually give us a penny. Uh, Go to BryceOutOfTheSun.com uh, for that guy has more. No, 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 no. Okay. Plays than anyone I've seen. And he's had more. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my God, no! That I can't believe that happened. Plays. Uh, Just Jackson. He uh, unbelievably got that steal that could have tied up the game, or brought the Suns within one. I within think one. if he had made yeah. the made the layup. Um, he he slowed down to do a windmill dunk and got himself blocked by Daniel House. I thought he was slowing down to take a look at where James Harden was, and he didn't see Daniel House. He might have, but he just shouldn't have slowed down. Period. Right. You've got to go full speed. If you're on a fast break, he really, I think he really thought he was kind of alone yep. and he was going to do a funny, a fun dunk. Yep. Uh, but great game. Nonetheless, uh, a lot of fun this week is it's been crazy to see the Suns be so competitive. And I, I think a, a part of that was, you know, teams just not respecting the Suns at the very beginning. Uh, but I also think that this team is playing better. I thought it was interesting for Igor to come out and without Tyler Johnson start Devin Booker at point guard along with Troy Daniels in the backcourt. I thought that that was an interesting uh, way to start the game. I, I, I thought that Dragan Bender has actually, even though he hasn't been scoring much, I think his rebounding and his defense has been really noticeable and impactful in the games. Yeah, I think he, I think most of, in my opinion, most of Dragan Bender's improvement has been in his facial expression. <laughs> he doesn't look that much more effective on the court, but he looks more serious Instead of more, I'm still developing kind of face. And I, I think we're all responding to that. But the dude is still only getting a couple of rebounds and no points and maybe one shot in 12 to 15 minutes of play. Okay, I'll, I'll rephrase that. I, I think that the Suns have looked better with him on the court when they have somebody else that can, another big that can box out, that can rebound. Like sure. when you see the Suns play with size, you know, Dragon Mitter has not been that much better. But I was thinking, so the Suns have... Uh, well, he hasn't been bad. No. And then some guy was arguing that. Uh, I can't remember if it was on Twitter in the bright side comments, but some guy was arguing that Dragon Bender has has dramatically improved just because he's not a completely worse player in the NBA anymore. And I think that's great. <laughs> but the same commenter complains about DeAndre Ayton constantly. So, you know, it's all relative, right? I mean, if Bender Island has been destroyed like uh, you know, like a hurricane hit it and there's there's one palm tree still standing, then and then that's Dragon Bender right there. Uh, lowered expectations. Um, I, I obviously the Suns did not <laughs> like pick up the his, lowest possible his option this coming year, but given the fact that they are playing him a bit more, that they, he there is some value to having him on the roster. Do you think there's any chance over the off season they offer him something like two years, six million to stay, or are they just done with Drug and Bender? You know what? He's still he is still just 21 years old. Um, I don't know what his personal attitude toward the Suns organization is. A lot of these players are ingrained in their heads that it's somebody else's fault. It's some other dude did it. The Saudi defense. Um, and so if Dragon is 
stewing over the lack of development of his pro career and he's blaming the Phoenix Suns franchise, then no no small offer is going to keep him. Uh, and the Suns should never make a big offer. So, But if he still has positive feelings towards the organization or the team, which I don't know, I, I just simply don't know because I never see him talking to anybody, uh, then he might stay for a small contract. What do you think? Do you want him back? Uh, if it was two years, six mil? I mean, there's just the Suns have so many questions this offseason, um, which I guess is, is kind of a, a good time to dive into it. So there's been a lot of chatter on Suns Twitter whether or not the Suns can and should keep both Oubre as well as Bridges long term. Does Oubre hinder uh, Mikel Bridges' development moving forward? But not only that, the Suns have some definite um restrictions uh as far as their their cap space goes this coming off season yeah. and so just the, with the the cap room the they're the okay the amount of money on the books with the cap holds that they have is 115 million uh the amount of uh spending that they've done with by releasing those cap holds uh 88 million regardless of how you dice this up the suns don't have a ton of money this coming off season to where they can keep everybody. If you want them to keep Troy no, Daniels, yeah. Rashawn Holmes, Kelly Oubre, they can't do it. Yeah. My, uh, thank you, Tim, for starting that out. My calculations, uh, that I just keep and and, and I just did verify them on a couple of different sites. So I'm fairly sure they're accurate. Suns have about 15 million in cap space available while including Kelly Oubre's cap hold. Um, if they, Released Ray Spalding. Uh, let me just make sure my numbers are right. No, sorry. Uh, that's if they release guys like Ray Spalding and and uh, and uh, no, that's it. Well, his, so yeah, Kelly they have Ubrae's, about fifteen. Million. Kelly Oubre's cap hold is fairly small, isn't it? Nine point six three million. You know, it's interesting. So, so, so Josh Jackson, if you look at uh, the amount of salary he has on the books coming up, he's going to be close to a, a $9, $10 million player here pretty soon. The Suns are going to have some real questions with him. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's really interesting. Um, Kelly Oubre with his $9.63 million cap hold, he uh, will probably be entertaining offers in the $15 million range. So what will likely... Um, happen obviously that the Suns will, Suns will just keep that cap hold unless he signs with another team and um, sticks with their 15 million on the open market. Now the question is, what are they going to spend the 15 million on? Do you want to spend it on a power forward? Do you want to spend it on a point guard, or do you want to just get a couple of um, just mini rotation players that are that are mid career? Okay, well let me let me ask you another question uh, so I can okay. make sure that I'm understanding this properly. If the Suns keep the 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 cap hold with kelly Oubre, uh but uh that's so that's assuming that they they kelly Oubre signs for the nine million like if they were to give kelly Oubre 15 million uh how much i don't think that they have any cap space i think 15 million is their cap space oh isn't it? yeah so what you would do what you would do is you would actually um uh, keep that, keep him as that nine point six three million, and then just sign him last out of out of all your free agent spending. Right, and then so, go over the cap. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, is Robert Sarver going to do that? Well, he's done it before. What do you do it for this team? Sure. Sarver has never had a problem spending a little bit of money. He's had a problem spending a lot of bit of money on a total team, and he's had a problem. Um, keeping with that year over year, like we go back to the Kurt Thomas trade and all that. Um, but but he's never had a problem going for it in a summer spending spree for sure. I I I think there's there's uh, a really really tiny tiny chance that Robert Sarver won't want to line up the contract so he can go a little bit over the cap. The thing is, he just doesn't like going over the luxury tax. Does. Kelly Oubre long-term hindered the development of Mikael Bridges. No, not at all. And I just can't believe this is even look the sun's best. And I'm not, I'm not yelling at you, Tim. I mean, there's, there's a lot of sentiment out on Twitter and, and, and among sun's fans that one hinders the other. These guys are great together in a lineup. 
I don't know if anyone's noticed, but the Suns' closing lineup over the past few weeks includes both Ubre and Bridges out there together locking up the other team's best wing defenders. The only problem between the two of them is that neither is a power forward, but you know what? They shouldn't have to be. Um, so, no, they, they don't hold each other back. They can both play 30, 32 minutes, uh, and uh, you're better off because they'll both stay fresh. I think uh, the it, you, any team would want to have the two of them on the team. That's like saying the Warriors shouldn't have a prime Andre Iguodala coming off the bench when they had already Clay Thompson in their starting lineup. It's nonsensical. Of course the Warriors wanted both. The Warriors just said, yeah, let's have both. And that's that's what I'm talking about. But if the Suns sign a starting caliber power forward with their cap room. Well, it's all maneuverable cap room. I mean, uh, Tyler Johnson's only on there for another year. Right. And he's not going to be making nineteen million dollars. Right, but I mean, if the if the Suns were if the Suns were if their major free agent uh, acquisition this off season was a power forward instead of a point guard, uh, you would assume that they got themselves a quality power forward. In theory, somebody that would be commanding thirty minutes himself. Right now, Kelly Oubre and Mikel Bridges are able to to uh, get that amount of minutes between them because there's really nobody at power forward. You have Dragon Bender. You're playing like twelve minutes a game, but that's that's pretty much it. See, that's the thing, man. You, you guys are, um, you guys are just assuming all these things that are that are not true. Again, let me go back to the Warriors. Do we think that Andre Iguodala played in his prime for the Warriors, which was his last couple of years with the Warriors? Did he play too few minutes? No, they figured out how to get him out there for 25, 30 minutes. There's mixing and matching of lineups. No player plays 48 minutes, so yeah, absolutely you can have both these guys out there for 30 plus minutes. Uh, attacking the other team on both ends. Can you have both those guys out there getting 30-plus minutes while keeping Josh Jackson and TJ Warren on your roster? Well, that's my, that's, that's my assumption. My assumption is that you're no longer trying to find room for Josh Jackson and TJ Warren. Um, I'm sorry about TJ. I know he's a nice scorer off the bench. Some team is going to need him. Um, I would rather uh, I'd rather have Tyler Johnson than TJ Warren personally. I'd rather have um, uh, anybody but Josh Jackson. So I would, uh, I'd counter that. Let me get your thoughts on it. Is it's it's incredibly evident when you watch the Suns team how shallow they are coming off the bench. It seems like if they're able to keep a TJ Warren and he is okay with coming off the bench, that that could actually be uh, a pretty nice thing for the Suns. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I I think, but I don't think TJ is going to want to come off the bench. and uh, But at $11 million, he's certainly the right expense for your one of your top two or three bench players coming off. The problem is that he's never played well with Devin Booker. They've always been a net negative because neither really plays any defense. I'd rather have um, I'd rather have anybody else out there next to Devin Booker because you're you're building this team around Booker, you're building this team around DeAndre Ayton, and you're building this team around um, hopefully Zion Williamson. But uh, but even in the absence of that, then uh, you're definitely going out there and um, uh, making sure that the guys around Devin Booker complement Devin Booker. So no, I don't really I don't really think. The Suns are getting their best possible value by playing T.J. Warren 25, 30 minutes in any role. And on that note, we have a guest coming up on the show. Yeah, we have a guest coming on. Uh, he'll Well, he'll be coming on in a, in, a, in a few minutes. His name is Jim Kokenauer. For those who are longtime Bright Side of the Suns fans, uh, then uh, they're going to be excited to know that Jim Kokenauer is, is going to be on the show. He used to do the bright side of the sun podcast a couple of years ago on a weekly basis with me as a, as his uh, co-host. Um, so, and everyone knows how, how good Jim is at his opinions um, uh, and how good he is at expressing those opinions, sometimes negative, sometimes positive. So let's see how he's feeling about the suns these days. Welcoming on to the program a first-time guest of the show, Jim Kockenauer. Uh, did I Kokenauer. say Kokenauer? God damn it! I knew it. it's not Kockenauer. <laughs> it's Kokenauer. 
You know what? I, Jim, I didn't know that about you, man. Fuck it. I'm going to keep that part in. Jim, thanks for coming on. <laughs> I'm happy to be here, him. Thanks for getting the pronunciation horribly wrong. <laughs> That's Tim's job, man. <laughs> he, what's funny is that before we even called you, Jim, he said it perfectly to me. And so I didn't even have to correct him on, uh, this is Jim Kokenauer? Yeah. And then he introduces you, and all of a sudden you're you're a whore. <laughs> I can completely understand, though. I still have a hard time with uh, Coach Igor's name. And I remember the – I thought Goran's last name was easy, but for everybody always wanted to say Dragic and couldn't get the Dragic part, so – that's right. You're, it's, it, we, we'll just give Tim a pass on this one. Uh, so, Jim, we were just getting into our segment, kind of talking about whether the Suns are ranking right now in the tank race as it comes down to the final stretch of the season. The Suns right now, they are three games ahead of the Bulls to finish in one of those prized top three spots, giving them a 14% chance of landing the number one overall pick regardless of where they fall in the standings right there. Coming up in the schedule, the Suns have the Pelicans, Bulls, Pistons, Kings, Jazz, Wizards, Cavs, Grizzlies, Rockets, and Mavericks. It is worth noting that the Rockets game is two days before the season ends, and whether or not they decide to play James Harden, Chris Paul in that final game is uh, yet to be seen. I think that the Suns are going to end up with a third-worst record. I think that they've been playing well enough now that they're probably going to get to right around 20 wins, 2021, 20, I think, because um, the schedule is a little bit easier. And I think that's what Dave might have said uh, about a week or so ago. Wasn't that where you were kind of thinking they were going to end up, Dave? Yeah, I, I actually at the time, that was before they even won five out of seven games. I was thinking they would get close to 20. Yep, so I called that. Um, I couldn't even personally get them past 18, even even in my uh, most reasonable, not wild expectations, but reasonable expectations. Just That's just how easy the schedule was going to get. And they've already gotten five of those wins. So um, I, I agree. I think, uh, I think they're going to be close to that now. If I was being asked, I'd probably say um, they're going to try really hard to exceed last year's 21 wins. I think that's going to be the team's goal when they get closer to it. Is it worth the Suns picking up some extra wins this season if they drop down four or five percentage points and their chance to land the number one overall pick? I think so. I think that they should try to win every game at this point because I really think that, you know, especially if they intend to make a strong effort to keep Kelly Oubre and re-sign him this summer because it really does look like that there's a chance something's happening, some cohesion chemistry with the young core with Tyler Johnson and Ubre on board to go along with Aiden Booker, uh, Bridges, that uh, they could have something going for next year. You make a couple additions, and I, I think that's important for these young guys to, to not get beaten up and feel bad going into the summer. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, if you actually if you look at the standings right now, I know Tim was talking the Suns are, are, are only uh, a few games ahead of Chicago for that fourth spot. And that's true. I mean, so that they could potentially drop to that fourth spot. But there's no way the Suns drop all the way down to fifth in the odds. And so because Atlanta right now has 24 wins, that would require Atlanta going over for the rest of the season and the Suns somehow winning eight of 13 games and, and just to tie Atlanta. And the Suns lost to Atlanta. So actually the Suns would need to win nine of 13 games and Atlanta go over for the rest of the season to even get down to that fifth worst record. So the Suns will be in one of the top four worst records, and that's either a 12.5% or a 14% chance. There, So they can only lose 1.5% on the, on those odds in the lottery. Now, of course, a, a pessimist or, or somebody who's a realist would say that, yes, but if you have the fourth, fourth worst record, you're more likely to pick seventh or eighth than you are first or second, and that's true. Uh, but if you're only talking about a Zion lottery and nothing else, which I am personally, it's Zion or bust. I think you trade out if there's anyone besides Zion that um, anyone besides the number one pick that you're that you're taking. I think you trade out. So it doesn't matter what the what the odds are that the Suns won't get the number one pick. It only matters what the odds are that they will. And the worst they can do is one and a half percent 
worse or lower chances than the rest of the bad teams. So I think the Suns should win as many games as possible to finish the season on a high note, make themselves a little bit more attractive to, for those mid-tier free agents because that's the only kind of money the Suns have. The Suns have. And um, we try to go into the summer on a positive note for the first time in four years. Taking a look at the Bulls schedule coming up, the Bulls play the Kings, the Suns, the Wizards, Jazz, Raptors, Trailblazers, Raptors again, Knicks, Wizards again, the 76ers twice, and the Knicks. Uh, so they have uh, a little bit harder of a schedule. Um just because but, they play the yeah, like you said though, Tim, they have to win three more, actually four more games right. than the Bulls will win the rest of the year. The Suns would yeah. even drop to fourth, and I think that's almost impossible. I, you know, I, I agree with what you, what you said, and I, I think they're still far enough behind that even a twenty twenty one wins. Like I think that they'll get you. There's a good chance that they're going to end up with the the third worst record. Um, even though I, you know they're better than some of these other teams that I, I think that they're playing better. Although Atlanta, I think, is also playing pretty well. That uh, you know, being in the the Western Conference and uh, even some of these these games uh, that they have against uh, the Pelicans. Um, they, you know, they do have a couple more games against the Jazz. We saw how that worked out for them last time. Um, the Rockets, like you said, that. They might be resting Harden at the end, but I think there's actually a good chance that uh, with Oklahoma City and uh, the Portland Trailblazers and them all kind of congested in there, that 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 home court advantage scenario might come down to the very last game of the season for those three teams. Yeah, that's a really good point. I don't, I don't, I actually don't think the Rockets will be resting anybody either, uh, because of just what you just said, Jim. Um, the all those teams are within two or three games of each other right now with only 13 to go. Yep. And, uh, the, the you know, the Rockets rested Chris Paul in, in the, you know, re- resting Chris Paul against the Suns. Um, that, that's not going to happen at, at the end of the season if, if things are important. So, uh, you know, and, and some of this can depend on, you know, the, the, the health of the Suns, other things that, you know, we, don't know about going into the games too so there, there's other variables that could you know most likely only you know hurt the the sun's chances to, to get more wins there's you know not not something that you know you don't think at this point like tj warren is going to actually come back to help the suns win games because it's sure looking like he got shut down and then if you have you know like some of these nagging injuries to tyler johnson things like that then uh, that that can only hurt so the closer we get to the end of the season, it becomes a little bit more of a story that uh, T.J. Warren has a bonus in his contract of I think it's it's somewhere between a hundred thousand and two hundred fifty thousand um, dollars on a certain number of three pointers attempted, made, and uh, percentage, and he's beating all those except he's five attempts short. Oh, he's gonna come back that last game right. and chuck up some threes. <laughs> His so, agent would be so pissed if the Suns didn't let him. Right. So could you imagine the dude's under contract for another three years or is it four years? It's one of those two. And and he's been shut down all this time. But yes, I can imagine him wanting to come back for the last couple of games, even if he's hobbling on an ankle that he's been hobbling on for months. Uh, just to jack up some threes and, and hit that qualifier for his bonus. And that, that'll tell you whether the Suns have, you know, what kind of relationship the Suns have with the players now. Because they're the Suns are talking about how they're trying to repair relationships with with players and agents. Uh, James Jones is doing some some good things this year to try to uh, get on agents' good sides. And, and that's important when you work in a front office and you need those guys to actually want their players to sign with you. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if um, T.J. Warren comes back for what ostensibly is simply an attempt to get those last five threes up. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't you come back for a hundred thousand dollars? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if I'm hobbling, I mean, last on Friday night, I almost said last night, Friday night in the Pac-12 tournament, Arizona State Sun Devils uh, were playing, and they and they lost in overtime to Oregon, but the entire game they played with basically a one-legged 
um, uh, Remy Martin because he he pulled his groin in the first quarter, and um, and he played the whole time. So and, and he was literally limping on one leg, running like he had a peg leg, uh, and uh, eventually it cost the Sun the Sun Devils the game. But uh, yeah, I can see T.J. Warren no matter how injured he thinks he is uh, going out there. I just find it really weird about T.J. Warren and that whole injury because. They said when he when they shut him down, they said it's a chronic nagging injury that's been bothering him for months. And he said it happened in December. And yet he played for another month on it. Uh, and he was mobile. And then about uh, three weeks after the injury, Kokoshkov said uh, in, in a practice, after a practice, that it's really up to TJ right now because there isn't any, it's a bone bruise, it's a deep bone bruise, and it's all about the pain. But he can't hurt himself any further in games. He just has to decide what pain tolerance he can live with. And we haven't seen TJ. That was a month ago. Yeah, and James Jones was on the radio, I think it was earlier this week. It was earlier uh, this week, and uh, he left the door open and said that TJ Warren, if he was ready to play, that he wasn't completely shut down for the season said that if, you know, TJ was ready to play just the last couple of games, last game that he could get in there. So I think that that leaves the door open for the, him to return to attempt those five, three pointers. Like you said, if they're trying to, uh, you know, build these player relations and even if they're planning on, you know, trying to aggressively move TJ this summer, because it's kind of looking like he's not really part of the the future plans with the way this is going. Uh, he's been shut down long enough, and and you know, there's it's not like they're fighting for a playoff spot. Because if they were, then maybe it would be different, and uh, he would he would be out there. Um, like I can empathize with Remy Martin a little bit. I'm recovering from a, a torn adductor muscle and an avulsion fracture. The muscle tore and ripped off a chunk of bone, and uh, so you know the whole the pulled groin thing, you know, uh, strikes home to me right now there. But, uh, you know, if there's times you're going to play through pain, play yeah, through pull, torn adductor and, and all those technical words you use sounded a lot less, um, uh, cringeworthy than, than groin pull, you know? So I'm glad you used those other words first. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I mean, you got to think that, you got to think that TJ, even if that's hurting, would love to get back out there and throw up five threes in the last game. And, you know, they could just feed him the ball a few times and then he can go sit down and, you know, enjoy his offseason, use that money to go on a vacation. Exactly. Even Troy Daniels got three threes up last night. Uh, I did it to you. Tim, you told us not to use last night, and here I am. I keep doing that. Um, so even uh, – uh, Troy Daniels in his 14 minutes of play uh, starting against the Houston Rockets on Friday night. Um, he got three threes up before um, the rest of the guys just kind of took away his minutes from playing so hard and well. And uh, Troy Daniels is a guy we talked earlier about whether the Suns could keep Kelly Oubre and Mikel Bridges. And I want to ask Jim's opinion on that too. Um, but if you do, you not only have less time for T.J. Warren and Josh Jackson, but you also ultimately have less time for Troy Daniels in your in your rotation if you're going to keep all those guys going forward. Um, so, uh, Jim, let me ask you. I know we uh, Tim and I already covered this, but I want to hear your opinion. Um, assuming the Suns can make it work uh, as far as keeping Kelly Oubre for, let's just say it's $15 million, all right? That only leaves the Suns about $10 million or 10 to 15 million to spend in free agency. Um, would you keep Kelly Oubre at that number and Mikel Bridges? And then what would you do with the rest of the team around them? Yeah, I think uh, going back real quick, you said about uh, Troy Daniels, Igor's death chart is funny because he was embarrassed to not be given Daniels more minutes and Daniels, can barely get in the game, and then Tyler Johnson isn't playing, and now Daniels, you're starting. So uh, some of that doesn't always make sense to me. But um, going to the Ubre Bridges thing that you just talked about, I would definitely do that. And I think Ubre is worth gambling on for $15 million a year because he just turned 23 in December. So, 
you know, we saw the, the difference from TJ Warren, for instance, with the shooting, you know, from 23 to, to 25, and you can make more improvements. And so if Kelly Oubre can actually improve even a little bit more, then he's going to be a really solid player. And I just love the I just love the attitude he brings to the game. <clears throat> he looks like he's a pretty boy, and he and he actually is uh, very much a pretty boy off the court. Um, but on in the game, he's an animal. Yeah, and I love that type of ferocity. And it, you know, it reminds me of the way Amari used to be. It reminds me a, a little bit of Russell Westbrook, the uh, the intensity. And I think people can can feed off off of it. Uh, and he does have some showmanship, some gamesmanship. Every once in a while, it blows up in his face like that failed reverse dunk. <laughs> uh, so that w- that was not his finest moment. But, but I'd rather part watch of the game him dunk than uh, Josh Jackson. And, and part of the game is you know the entertainment factor, and you know people. I I like that. I like watching like some of those great in-game dunks. So that that's you know part of entertaining the fans. The game's about entertainment. Um, but yeah, the, the two of those, I, I, I think Ubre and Bridges can kind of lock up that small forward position moving forward. I think as a rookie, Bridges has always, uh, has already shown enough that he is going to be, uh, a plus defender in the NBA. And, uh, even if he's never a strong offensive option, then, uh, there, there's always room for guys that can defend multiple positions and help, a help good team defense. And, I think that that Warren is is still limited defensively, and doesn't necessarily fit with some of the offensive skills of the other players. And I, I've already pretty much given up on Josh Jackson. I've been back and forth in some of the threads on the the website that he just he's having like one of the worst years in NBA history for a second year player that uh that plays as many minutes as he does. And I just, I just don't really see the improvement from last year to this year. And maybe he will still improve. It's possible, but I, I don't see where he's going to get from here to being like an all-star or a fringe all-star. And yeah. if his ceiling is just like an average player, like borderline starter type of player, then I mean, aren't Ubre and Bridges already that? So I, I I would be good keeping those two guys and kind and of moving on other, from. Yeah, yeah. Um, just to go along with what you're saying, Jim. Here's the other thing: uh, Josh Jackson in year four is going to be making nine million dollars, and so it's not even like he's the cheap rookie deal guy because he was drafted fourth after the cap went way up, uh, and the rookie contracts went way up in the new CBA. So he's going to be making as much as a mid-level, um, a mid-level equivalent in his fourth year, and I just don't think that that's worth it for what you get out of Josh Jackson, who reminds me so much of Archie Goodwin. Right. Yeah. So it's I mean, not really, his like high you're... end, Josh Jackson's high end now, is probably Corey Brewer. What do you think of that? Yeah. So it's not like you're paying. You're looking at it like, oh, $15 million for Oubre. You're looking at it like Oubre is $6 million more than Josh Jackson. And, you know, based off the stuff like the Rockets game, uh, yeah, did Oubre have that fail on the dunk, but that was in the first half. Jackson blew a play at the end of the game where he had a chance to have a fast-break dunk, slowed down, allowed the defense to foul him, and then proceeded to miss both free throws. And... You know, really, that that could have cut the the lead down to one and kept the Suns in the game, and that kind of ended it. That and the fact that they still don't know to foul at the end of games somehow inexplicably, even yeah, after dude, that. What the hell was debacle that? at the beginning of the season, where <laughs> oh, should we foul? Should we not foul? Was were we told to foul? Were we not told to foul? Um, you know, fifty, sixty games later, and they still don't know to foul. So, <laughs> I I really think that's a problem, but. Josh Jackson, he hurts the team. He's not hes not even like a neutral thing. I think Dragon Bender is actually better to have out on the court at this point because he basically has no impact, whereas Josh Jackson has a negative impact. Yeah, can we talk so, for a minute about not necessarily Dragon Bender, but about uh, Tyler Johnson? Tyler Johnson is a fringe NBA rotation player. He got a really good uh, deal when he, when, you know, when he when he was in restricted free agency thanks to the 
Brooklyn Nets who were trying to sign anybody they could. Um, but, you know, so he's not a $19 million a year player. He's roughly, uh, over the course of his contract, around a $10, $11 million player. Um, and he really doesn't even put up the stats to warrant that. But can we just say how much of a difference Tyler Johnson has had on this Suns lineup and how uh, what positive he brings to this team just by not turning the ball over and my, by making the simple plays when you need to make simple plays? Yeah, he's a stabilizing force, and it helps team morale when you you have somebody out there that's uh, facilitating things and just and not making a lot of mistakes and, uh, you know, dumb boneheaded plays. And that's like the things, you know, Josh Jackson excels at, and it's a bad thing. And even with, with Bender out there, sometimes he passes up shots that he should take. But, you know, he's not out there making a ton of mistakes either. And, you know, it, I would made the comments in the, the recent Jazz game that how their three-point shooters are receiving the ball in rhythm, that the passes are coming where they need them to to be successful and make a higher percentage of shots. And the Suns haven't had that guy besides, you know, Devin Booker, and then they're asking him to do too much that's really delivering the ball to people where they need it to be to be successful and ultimately i'd really like to see tyler as the backup next year and get a a little better of a quality point guard at least as a starter and then i think if the suns do that then i mean they that that position could finally be solved after what it took a a season and a half from when Bledsoe left to even when they could get some competent play out of tyler johnson so I get to actually dream for a moment here, and this is something that I never would have considered a reality, possible reality, uh, a few weeks ago. But with how well the guys are starting to really like each other, and their their little Valley Boys nickname and all that, led by Kelly Oubre, and just the way the team is starting to gel over the rest of the season. Let's say they almost split the rest of their games. Let's say they win 40% of their remaining games. They get over that 21 win threshold. Uh, They go into the summer on a high note. Tyler Johnson has a one year, $19 million player option coming up this summer. What are the chances that a Tyler Johnson, knowing that the Suns need a little bit of money so they can get a power forward there so they can get, um, you know, more players around them, even though he might lose his starting job. I don't think he ever considered himself a starting point guard, and, I, and his head is not so big that he thinks he should be going forward. What are the chances Tyler Johnson might actually work out a gentleman's deal with the Suns to sign a multi-year extension after opting out of that $19 million? That's more like what he's worth. There are other factors that play into it. Let me ask you a question real quick that I think has a lot of impact on that maybe what do you think the odds are that James Jones is the GM yeah let's just let's just assume for the for for the purpose of this exercise let's assume he is then I think there is a chance because I really think I don't know with some of the other parts of being a GM he excels at uh it seems you know like even in the ESPN story recently that was, you know, the scathing uh, review of all the ineptitude yeah. of the sun where James Jones, I guess, like didn't introduce himself to the GMs of the other teams, you know, make phone calls. So he doesn't know some of the standard operating procedures like that. But what I think we really do know is that the, the players, you know, really like the guy that they respect him. And so I could see that. And, you know, if if we're dreaming, then I could also see where he manages to negotiate something out with Ubre before free agency starts mm-hmm. to where Ubre kind of already has the deal in his back pocket and the Suns can use a little bit of free agent money to go get somebody else with Ubre's cap hold being obviously less than the new deal he's probably going to sign. Right, right, because his cap hold is about nine point six million. Right now, that gives the Suns uh, about about fifteen million in cap space for the summer, uh, and that's why I was, you know, I'm I'm hoping it's not going to happen. Probably, I mean, nineteen million dollars in your pocket is a hell of a lot more um, 
more. And then he's only going to be 27, uh, Tyler Johnson, when he is a free agent again. So anything like around six, eight million a year after that, he'll end up making more money just by writing out his contract. So I totally get that it's very small chance, but it would be nice uh, to get him under a multi-year because I really like what he does bring. And he is in the middle of his career. He's not declining. So uh, getting him on a, on a three-year 30 million instead of one-year 19, maybe he would take that. I don't know. But uh, that would be nice. And, yes, I, I do think James Jones is the kind of guy who could uh, potentially, yes, I think he could get Kelly Oubre's team, his, his, his camp, uh, to agree to the the RFA offer beforehand and just, then just let the other teams know quietly that it's not worth making an offer to Kelly or to, yeah to Kelly Oubre. So right and then the Suns could have 15 or, or more million dollars to sign to spend in free agency. James Jones said he has a plan to um, target a half a dozen guys but but sign three of them. Well, I don't know how you sign three of them with 15 million dollars unless you have a different plan than what's on the books right now. So I'll be interested to see how it all works out. Now, I haven't heard anything from Tyler. Maybe you have, because uh, uh, Kelly and James Jones both gave a hard yes to their desire to for Kelly you know, to, to be in Phoenix next year. Um, and, I mean, that was really nice to hear from, from mm-hmm. Oubre that, I mean, he answered that out of the knocked that out of the park. If his agent was listening to that interview, he was like spiking stuff on the floor and doing a touchdown dance. Uh, the way he answered that question oh, yeah, about absolutely. how much he <laughs> he loved being in Phoenix, and then a couple of days later, you know, James Jones was on the radio and said, "Yeah, absolutely, that's what we want. We want him to be here next year." You know, not neither of them gave like these. Well, we'll have to see how the money works out, or this is a business, and we like him, but if and or type of things. I mean, mm-hmm. they were both, you know, very definitive. So have you heard anything from Tyler about, uh, you know, his thoughts about, you know, whether he likes it here, how much he likes it here, uh, everything. Tyler, Tyler was on the radio the other day and had nothing but positive things to say about the Suns, his teammates, the organization. Uh, and he was also asked uh, point blank, whether or not he, uh, feels the need to be a starter on this team moving forward, and he answered it along the lines of, um, it, "It doesn't matter to me where uh, what position I'm playing, as long as the Suns are winning." Okay, right, and so he that- and he has said a couple of times in passing, like in in interviews, not on that topic, but just saying uh, next year, next. He has said a couple of times talking about next year because he is already under contract for sure, so he is assuming he'll be here. Okay, and there's a, a possibility still he, he could be the starter next year, and that could work out because I think the Suns really still have glaring holes at point guard and power forward, and power forward might actually even be the, the bigger need now with Tyler Johnson stepping in and, and showing he can at least adequately fill that role, even if he's not one of the better point guards in the NBA. So with money being a consideration, it's going to be hard with the, the salary cap situation to address both positions anyway and go out and get you know two nba starter level players so you know maybe tyler is the starter next year well i think uh i think the suns are definitely not going to just be able to sign people in free agency they're going to have to get the two positions power forward and point guard through a combination of two of the draft trades and free agency you're not going to get both guys in free agency i totally agree with you um, they're, they're, uh, so it's going to take some other maneuvering, like moving on from some contracts that are already on the team that in trade for a guy who's more functional with the team. I mean, James Jones has already done it twice. So while he, he can't get full credit for Kelly Oubre, he did get the Suns. He and, uh, Trevor Buckstein together did get the Suns into getting out of malcontent Trevor Ariza for, for functional player. He thought it was going to be Dylan Brooks turned out to be it would be Kelly Oubre because the Wizards really want a draft compensation for Oubre uh, first. So that's that's why Oubre was off the table. But then the Suns made it work anyway, which is a testament to the front office of the Suns to make that secondary deal work. We haven't given them much credit for that. Um, after the Dylan Brooks part fell through, everybody could have walked away, but the Suns still stayed on the phone and said, you know what, let's just do this and actually talk the Wizards into giving up, getting less for Oubre than they wanted. 
And then, of course, uh, trading for Tyler Johnson in exchange for Ryan Anderson, who is just not playable in today's NBA. Um, I think those are really good moves. So I would not be surprised if the Suns make a trade for a playable veteran that fits on a similar contract to somebody they've traded away. And it could be Tyler Johnson. It could be TJ Warren. It could be Josh Jackson. It could be any of these guys. And you can get a playable power forward who has at least the girth to do some rebounding next to DeAndre Ayton in the front line and, and then sign the point guard or vice versa. Trade for the point guard and, and sign the power forward or draft one of them like Zion Williamson. Yeah, if you look Tim, what at do you it. Think? We haven't let Tim talk in a while. <laughs> you guys don't let me talk. Uh, it's been nice to hear Jim, honestly. <laughs> it's the uh, first time he's come on the show, so I've enjoyed hearing his opinion. Uh, I, I think, to your point, Dave, that we don't, and by we, I mean the collective Suns Twitter, if you will, haven't given James Jones enough credit uh, as a GM for the moves he's made. I mean, he's made two moves, and so far both of them has been have been really quality. Uh, moves that have improved the roster, and he's gotten rid of, of to your point, malcontent players. Um, uh, but I'm not really sure what you were asking my opinion on. I mean, it's 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 clear that Suns uh, need a power forward and a and a point guard. <laughs> yeah. uh, my opinion on on um, well, I guess that's true. But I didn't really ask for a specific opinion on anything. Yes, you agree. The yeah. Suns need more players. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's something I'll ask Jim's opinion on too. As as we get out of here, we have about three minutes left on the show. Jim, is that we were talking earlier about how essentially um, the emergence of Kelly Oubre and uh, Mikel Bridges showing uh, a lot of promise moving forward. That that's really mitigated the need for T.J. Warren. But I was bringing up the point whether or not you agree with it. I want to get your opinion that the Suns. What's blatantly clear right now without TJ Warren playing is that the Suns don't have any bench depth. Uh, apart from Jamal Crawford coming off the bench and hoping that he can score a little bit, the Suns <laughs> don't really have any players 6 through 10 that the coaching staff can trust to, to get them points uh, once those starters come off. So is there value in keeping TJ Warren on this team moving forward and not trading him? Suns life hack. Don't play Monday morning quarterback on Suns Reddit. Now back to the Sun Solar Panel podcast. I think that it's hard just because of the players on on the small forward position. I don't think that you know situationally they can play a little bit of four, but. The Suns have just been getting destroyed on the rebounds all season. They had like a, a minus 6.3 differential uh, going into the Rockets game. And they have to be able to fix that. And keeping TJ Warren around is not fixing that. Uh, Oubre is an average rebounder for his size. Uh, and Aiton can't do everything by himself. So I, I really think... Once you go out, if they can uh, uh, manage that, and you know Jones or, or whoever is here, uh, I think that if you go get the the point guard uh, power forward through some kind of trade, because like I'm I'm with Dave and uh, on the Zion or Bust thing, you know you trade that pick if you don't get the number one. That um, if you get those two players, that'll kind of fix the depth a little bit, and and I really think that a team that's going to want TJ is going to be a team that's going to start him. I really don't think that TJ's interested in coming off the bench. Uh, so I, I think I think that the depth Certainly will be addressed in a different way. Well, him coming off the, the bench <clears> isn't really, uh, if he gets traded, something that he has much control over. It's not like he's signing with the team at free agency <clears> who he can ask the team, what is my role going to be? If a team trades for him, a team trades for him. He doesn't have a, a no-trade clause, correct? Right, right, right. I think I think he'd be more open to coming off the bench for a playoff caliber or better team or even any team really other than the Suns. But I think with the Suns, he's established himself as a starter, even though it's on the league worst team. Um, he's not going to want to be relegated to a bench role. And we're not quite sure. He seemed a little bit more petulant, a little bit more uh, big headed than I thought he was the last couple of years. He's, he seemed like he's grown into somebody who thinks he deserves what he's gotten rather than always earning it because the Suns are the worst team. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure that TJ would accept a bench role 
uh, coming, you know, we thought we could talk, uh, that the Suns could talk Brandon Knight into accepting a bench role. And before he got hurt while he was still healthy, he hated it and showed it every minute he was on the court. And I worry that same thing would happen with TJ. Hey, on our, on a parting note, um, I, you know, let's, let's go, let's leave the, let's leave the podcast with a stat. We're going to play two truths and a lie. I'm going to throw three stats at you that are indicative of this, that are true. Well, two will be true. One will be false of the Suns in the last nine games, the last nine games, the Suns are five and four as of this recording. And they, um, this is their best stretch of the year, basically, because they had a five and uh, five and two stretch in December, but then they followed that up with a with seven straight losses that really weren't. Most of those were not competitive, so I really feel like this is a different stretch here. Um, I'm going to say three stats that are three stats about the Suns over the last nine games, and you guys tell me which one is the lie. First stat is that the Suns are, uh, and I'm looking at NBA.com stats. The Suns are 16th on defense. The second stat is that the Suns are fifth in rebounding. And the third stat is the Suns are fourth in pace. Tell me which one is not true. Tim. Fifth in rebounding. Yeah, they were minus 18 the other game. I'd have to think it was that. But I also would have thought they would have been a little higher on defense. But I'm going to go with rebounding, too. Yeah, that one was a little bit too easy, but I, I wanted to point out though that the Suns all year, that my biggest number that I that I thought was interesting is the pace part. All year the Suns have been in the bottom ten on pace, and for a very very young team, you should be dialing it up. That's one of the things that Jeff Hornacek was really good at as a coach, was and and Earl Watson to an extent after him as well. Um, dial up the pace with a young team, force the other team uh, to to adjust to you on the run as much as possible because you're terrible in the half court. Unfortunately, this year, Igor has been so uh, um, uh, ingrained in trying to get these guys to be able to function half court that he has not pushed the pace as much. But over the last nine games, the Suns are fourth in the league in pace. And that really does help because it gets some open court scores where the other team has not settled in their defense. Now, in Igor's defense, he also hasn't had a point guard all season. And in his defense, his, some of his finishers on the fast break are not very good, including Josh, Josh Jackson. So it's probably been a little cringeworthy trying to run. Uh, but over the last nine games, uh, and it's not all Tyler Johnson is, as the point guard, it's just the guys developing a little bit better, um, being a little bit better. I think Mikel Bridges is a really nice passer in the open court on the break, and that's a nice little surprise. Um, but otherwise these guys get their heads down and, and sometimes they have too many turnovers, but I'm really impressed with the pace. Uh, can I just uh, the can I counter that just by saying that the Suns are playing at the relative same pace that they were last year? Um, 100.5, uh, possessions per 48 minutes compared to 100.3. It's while they've been in the bottom half of the league this year, it's not because they've slowed down as much as other teams have sped up. Oh, wow. Hey, knowledge drop right there, man. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> the Suns over the last nine games are at 103.56 pace, which uh, which is definitely better for a young team to be doing. The Kings have been second in pace all year, around the top three or four in pace all year, and they're getting a lot of success out of that. Yeah, yeah. the, the league just this year in general is sped up, which has been kind of noticeable. Also, what's interesting about that, uh, as we kind of get out of this episode right here is uh, the, the the sheer number of uh, turnovers per team has also dropped. So while the pace of the game has been increasing, the number of turnovers has gotten lower. I mean, this year, um, Mikel Bridges, Paul George, and I think P.J. Tucker are in the top three of steals per game. And um, that's less than two and a half per game. And I think in other years, players were averaging more steals. So it's interesting that as the pace of the game has increased, the amount of turnovers has actually uh, decreased. Any parting thoughts, Jim? Yeah, one thing we touched on a little bit earlier. Um, Igor, teach these guys how to foul at the end of games. I'm, I'm just going to assume that if Tyler Johnson would have been playing, that he would have committed the foul there uh, in, instead of letting 10-plus seconds just run off the clock there at the end of the Rockets game. So uh, if, if it happens again this season, 
uh, I think I'm going to lose my mind. And if you're going to be the coach next year, Igor, these guys need to know how to handle a late game situation. So that's, you're going to pound that in on some practice. In his defense, he's had fewer opportunities at, at showing film on late game execution uh, than most coaches in the league. Yeah, it, it's, it's, so they don't get as much practice on it when uh, they're only, <laughs> like you said, in that late game situation, you know, once every month or so. Right. <laughs> well, uh, Jim Kokenauer, thank you so much for uh, joining the podcast. Where can people find you on the Twitter sphere? Um, they can look me up. It's uh, Jim, uh, Jim underscore Kokenauer. Um, I'm usually only on there a whole lot during the NBA free agent season, stuff like that. Uh, but they can they can find me there, and then I'm usually I'm not writing quite as much on Brightside, but you can look for me in the comment section if you want to go back and forth on anything. Uh, I it will engage anyone on there. You just got done listening to the Solar Panel. For more great Suns content, check out the Timeline podcast for stuff like this. There's no way that Hakeem Olajuwon makes his own pancakes. <laughs> I'm really sorry that you just made a great coherent point and that's all I had to respond with, but it, all it did was lead me to look up the fact that Akeem Olajuwon made $110 million in his NBA career and God knows how much since then. He easily has someone at his ranch to make his pancakes, right? That's The Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. 